Welcome to World Footprints Radio, the show where we celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage. Featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, World Footprints Radio. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us today on World Footprints Radio. We're your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, broadcasting to you exclusively from our studios outside of Washington, D.C. On today's show, first, Eric Braden of the number one daytime soap, The Young and the Restless, continues his conversation on Israel and the quest for peace in the Middle East, his love for America and the American South, and how that influenced a role he played in a recent film. And finally, Dr. Kristen Lamoureux, the director of the International Institute of Tourism Studies at George Washington University here in D.C., joins us to talk about volunteerism initiatives in Egypt and around the world. And as always, if you have a question or a comment, write to us at comments at worldfootprints.com. And of course, please don't forget to connect with us in real time and follow us around the world from any of our social networks, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and others. And you can find all of our social networks at worldfootprints.com. And also don't forget to sign up for our newsletter there, too. I know when folks think of the great cities on the East Coast, dear Boston, New York, Philadelphia, and Washington come to mind. But sometimes people tend to forget that Baltimore is part of that. And we, through our partnership with Citro Media, have developed a wonderful travel app called Baltimore and Beyond that puts a focus on this great East Coast city, a city I'm somewhat biased for because I grew up there and lived there for nearly 30 years. But there are over 340 entries in this wonderful app covering the art scene, restaurants, fantastic B&Bs and hotels, and a host of historic attractions. And that was one of the great things we discovered was just all of the rich history in Baltimore. And it's there for everyone to see and learn about through iTunes. If you've got an iPad, an iPhone, or an iPod, you can purchase this wonderful app for $2.99 through the iTunes store. And if you are planning to come to Baltimore this winter or perhaps next year for some of the wonderful festivals and events, check out Baltimore and Beyond through iTunes and Sutro Media. And, of course, there's a link uh, directly to the Apple Store on our website, worldfootprints.com. Well, you know, everybody loves Victor Newman. Everyone we talk to, doesn't matter if it's a guy or a girl, grandparent, parent, even children, everybody loves Victor Newman. And we love the man more, Eric Braden, who plays uh, Victor Newman on the number one daytime series, The Young and the Restless. And we had such a wonderful conversation, hour-long conversation with uh, Eric um, not too long ago. And uh, Eric shared in, in our uh, hour-long conversation with him his early life in America and Hollywood and um, his efforts to overcome negative uh, stereotyping of Germans in the entertainment industry and, and also to build German-Israeli relationships. Uh, something he, uh, he did as a soccer player and uh and and, and throughout other uh efforts and initiatives he's he's been involved with and so um this marks our final the final thoughts that Eric shared with us and uh we're happy to uh finally share the uh the part 3 of our interview with Eric Braden Ian and I have uh been involved with organizations um uh, that uh, use and, and promote tourism as a mechanism to 
uh, peace. Um, and I know President Obama is in uh, is, is working to persuade members of the UN to support a Palestine-Israel peace process. And oh boy. Um, yeah, what 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 do you see as his greatest challenge, and what does he need to do from your perspective? Because I, I know you're an Obama supporter, and and you're very yes. passionate about uh, about uh, Israel and, um, you know, and, yeah. and certainly Ian and I are very passionate about travel and using right. travel to promote peace. Do you, do you see right. that working at all? Well, I tell you, this is a, this is a, a conundrum. This is a very, very difficult question as, as all presidents have found out, as everyone finds out. This is my, my take on it. As, as a German, um, of my generation, as a German period, I feel a moral obligation to support Israel because I think Israel is partly a result of the Holocaust in in Europe and specifically in Germany. And so, in other words, I don't think the moral imperative would have uh, existed to create the state of Israel uh, had it not been for the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. So having said that, I feel an obligation to 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 because one doesn't have to be a psychologist or an intellectual to understand uh, the fundamental question amongst anyone who is Jewish, namely the fear that that might happen again. The fear of a complete eradication might happen again. Mm. Hence the desire the intense desire on part of anyone who's Jewish to have their own land. I understand that completely. Mm-hmm. I really do. I have to be stupid not to. I have to be insensitive not to understand that. Having said that, I also obviously understand the quandary in the Middle East, namely that Palestinians feel that what was essentially a European problem, a Western problem, mm-hmm. uh, was now transplanted onto their soil, albeit uh, there were biblical uh, uh, references to that land as the land of Israel, and Jews had been there and had, had been uh, 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 pushed into the diaspora, um, you know, centuries ago. So I understand the deep Jewish longing to go back to that earth, to that piece of land, and yet I understand uh, Palestinians who feel that they were pushed out of their lands. Um, it's just a damn difficult situation. I, I, I have to say um, it doesn't take much to understand both sides. My sympathies, obviously because of what happened historically to Jews, lies with more with Israel, but I, ha- I would be stupid not to understand mm-hmm. the plight of the Palestinians. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is, um, boy, is that a conundrum. My suggestion has been, and to myself and to friends, I think it will only be solved if one had an international military presence under the auspices of the United Nations, led by American troops and European troops and Arab troops, uh, along internationally recognized borders, and you at the same time to hermetically seal off Israel from the Palestinian territories, you establish a Palestine, you disarm mm-hmm. that country, demilitarize it, and 
help it economically so that moderate elements in both countries come to the fore and eventually will will have a dialogue with each other. I also, having said that, though, I also understand how the Jewish people do not want Israel to to be totally democratic in the sense that Arabs would be allowed to live in Israel by great numbers because they might eventually become a minority. Mm-hmm. And, and because of the bitter experience of Jews, um, I understand that they're reluctant to, to allow that. I mean, you would have to be totally insensitive not to understand that. Yeah. So... Um, I wonder if they themselves will ever be able to solve it. I, I think only by, it's like a bad marriage. I think you need to keep husband and wife away from each other for a while oh. if there's to be peace, you know. I don't know. It's, well, it's, luckily, that's, uh, that, that's, that's not the environment of our house. So. <laughs> no, but, but you know what I'm saying. It, no, I, I know. I, I know. so emotionally fraught I know. With, with, with understandable motives and reasons on both sides. And you know, and it, 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 the, the, the conflict goes back, you know, thousands of years, really. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. and and so yeah. it's uh, there's uh, there is uh, I, I my hats off to you to uh, the attempts to to try to to bring uh, make. Yeah, I mean, it's it's um, boy. Um, um, <laughs> I'm just I'm just. Uh, um, you know, worried about the fact that that too many of the fundamental uh, religious groups on all sides mm. are beginning to run the show, mm. and that worries me. That worries me a great deal. Yeah. Um, I, I I didn't mean to drag you into a political dialogue too much, Eric, yeah. but I know that you have uh, an affinity for for Israel. And aside from Israel, where do you travel? I mean, you know. People ask Ian and I all the time, well, what's your favorite country? Well, I can't answer that. You know, in all honesty, I can't answer that. But there are countries that I have a very special, countries and cities in the U.S., in fact, that I have a very special affinity with, places that really touch me and where I really feel like I belong. And where is that for you? Uh, I love California. I love L.A. I really do. You know, people are so used to putting down L.A. in many ways and call it La La Land. Uh, there are more hard-working people in California. This state produces more agricultural products than any in, in America. Uh, we have more PhDs per square mile. I mean, it's it's an extraordinarily productive state mm-hmm. that unfortunately uh, has been run down a little bit. Uh, we need to change a few things here. Uh, constitutionally, primarily that two-thirds majority rule that applies to determining the budget and raising and lowering of taxes. It's stupid. In other words, uh, the power is in the hands of a minority. Mm. Um, but that's a separate issue. I have to say I, I love traveling in, 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 in the South in America. I think it's, mm. it's full of character, um, from New Orleans to, to Savannah, Georgia, to, to I mean, it's, it's full of character. It's just, mm-hmm. You know, some of the best writers come from the South. And, and the reason why is because I've always thought the reason why is because the 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 the, the social hierarchy is so crass in the South. It, it used to be so clearly defined. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's it's 
um, I just find it a very, very interesting place. Um, New York, of course. I, I love New York. Um, there are certain towns in the in the Midwest, you know, when you're there. Um, it, it sort of, I've been everywhere in America. Mm-hmm. And when you run through the wheat fields of Iowa, or whatever, or in Kansas somewhere, I mean, it's 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 it all has. And then you hear the trains whistle in the in the background, you know. <laughs> it's 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 what a huge land, what a what a what a big country, and uh, Wyoming, uh, Montana, mm. uh, the West Coast. But I I have to say, I also love Europe. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I love Europe. I, I just it is so full of history, and I can't. Yes. Every time you go, every time you start. And I'm very interested in history, but you just realize how much there is to learn. My God Almighty! Mm-hmm. Uh, I've always enjoyed going to Canada, for example. Mm-hmm. Canadians are very civilized, very nice people. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've always encountered enormous amount of hospitality. Then my my trip to to Istanbul mm-hmm. uh, in Turkey. God, how fascinating! Mm-hmm. How fascinating! Yeah. And it's it's I love the south of France. Um, love Paris, yeah. love Rome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, would love to go to Sicily. Um, you know, enjoyed uh, being in, in Tel Aviv. Uh, Jerusalem is 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 when you're there, you're overcome by. Uh, they call it the Jerusalem syndrome. You just sort of it, you over. I remember writing in my diary how you suddenly became aware of the history of that city. Mm. And the wars that have been fought over that city, the conquests and reconquests, and it gives you chills. It, it really does. It's surreal, you know? isn't it? It's very wow. surreal. Yeah. Unbelievable. Eric, in uh, covering some of the places that resonate with you, uh, I know yeah. for me and Tanya, you mentioned New Orleans, you mentioned Canada. Those are places right. where we've spent a lot of time and we've done our show from those places. I wanted to use that as as kind of a a way to touch my next question with you. Uh, Your latest project is really based on uh, a story from the South, a a, a film called The Man Who Came Back, where you play a Confederate Army veteran who defends black workers in the post-Civil War South. And I understand your wife, Dale, weighed in heavily on this role. Talk to us about this film and what appealed to you, and I think you kind of touched on it as we were talking about all of these great places. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it um, you know, of, of the history during Reconstruction in America after the Civil War, mm-hmm. uh, it was a tough time in the South. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's the, the, uh, the wounds were still there, and a lot of people in the South didn't want uh, ways that they were used to to change. And... Um, uh, slaves have, had become emancipated, but the reality was is that they perpetuated slavery in many ways economically by creating company stores on each plantation. And they they issued a law in some southern states saying that if you owed money to the company store, you were not free. Hmm. And so you perpetuated slavery and in, indenturedness by mm-hmm. economic means. So um, it fascinated me. It had originally been just a revenge story, but I said I need an historic context. It, it, history interests me a great deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I found a wonderful cast, uh, George Kennedy, who, you know, uh, 
done some truly one of the icons in, in, in Hollywood. Sure. And uh, Billy Zane, who I'd worked with on Titanic, and Ahmed Asante, who I've respected for years as an mm-hmm. actor, and uh, Sean Young, and, and uh, um, a lot of other character actors, and Kenny Norton, the former heavyweight champion of the world. And uh, I got a wonderful cast together. And um, I loved the process of making this film. I, I watched the the the, the trailer um, earlier today, and I mean, I had to watch it a couple of times. It was so powerful, such right. a powerful, powerful story. Right. And I know that it's now available on DVD um, from your from your website, or what other sources? Uh, to be honest with you, I I. I, I would be lying to you if I told you I knew, but you can get it apparently on, on I'm sure people who are savvy the Internet know how to get it. Uh, Lionsgate distributed it, and, okay. and you probably can get it. And, and I don't know, to be honest with you. Where can you get it? Um, Amazon maybe or eBay. I mean, yeah, you get yeah. it in, in one of those, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it used to be in, in Blockbuster. It used to be at, at Walmart. So, um Yeah. I mean, absolutely powerful. And, you know, I was wondering when I was watching the trailers, you know, with all of your advocacy, it seemed as though a part of you lived in your character, Reese Paxton, in in some ways. You know, you're fighting for the little guy, and and you do that in real life. Yep, always have. Mm -hmm. Always have. Mm -hmm. Always have. So it's, 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 um, yes, that was a... Was a driving force, and um, yes, I think I've always, in a sense, fought against power. You mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What uh, what's uh, what's next? You know where that comes from? Where's that? That comes from losing your father early, mm-hmm. when you're young as a boy. You become your own dad in a sense, mm-hmm. and you become angry at the world for for your dad being taken away. And um, you know, you just you just fight to the drop of a of a hat, and mm-hmm. um, um, and and you have an enormous sense for what is fair and unfair, an enormous sense for it. Yeah, I don't know why that is, but it 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 stems from early on. What what is uh what's next for you, my dear? What's what's your next project and uh, my next project? They just called me to come back on stage. <laughs> oh my gosh! Excellent. <laughs> To do some scenes with Sean Young, who is on YNR right now. Yeah. And uh, that is my next project, to be honest with you. And uh, where can people go to keep up with you? You have a website? Uh, you know, I have a website, ericbraden.com. And uh, I think I have a. I think I recently had a Twitter thing as well, I think. I'm not sure. I should <laughs> talk to the person who did that for me. I have enjoyed this interview enormously. You're both. Very bright and very good, and I've enjoyed it any time. Well, it's, okay? it's been our pleasure. Thank you so much, Eric, yeah. for joining us today. Thank I've you. I really enjoyed it. All right, uh, Take care. My love to everyone. Pleasure. Thank you, my dear. Take care. Bye-bye. When we come back, George Washington University's Dr. Kristen Lamoureux, my good friend, joins us to talk about volunteerism and its impact in Egypt and around the world as World Footprints Radio continues. Hi, my name's Jennifer Jones, and I'm from Glasgow in Scotland, and I love listening to the World Footprints Radio Show online. Think about your mother, your sister, your girlfriend. One in six women is a victim of sexual assault. Now think about your father, your brother, your best friend. 
Men are victims too. Rape can happen to anyone. This is Christina Ricci with RAIN, encouraging you to call the National Sexual Assault Hotline to learn how to support someone you love. Call 1-800-656-HOPE or visit RAIN.org. That's R-A-I-N-N dot O-R-G. Brought to you by RAIN and this station. This is President Barack Obama. In the story of America, the greatest chapters are moments of challenge, when we see people serving their country and one another, volunteers who step forward into hospital corridors and church basements, along levees and fire lines. And the next chapter is yours to help write. Sign up to volunteer at usaservice.org. That's usaservice.org. Let's renew America together. A message from Renew America Together, brought to you by the Ad Council. Happy holidays, everybody. This is Dave Koz for RAD, recording artists, actors, and athletes against drunk driving. When you're traveling during the holidays and see someone who's had too much to drink about to get behind the wheel of their car, get the car keys. Your friends will thank you for it because friends don't let friends drive drunk. A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. For the latest and last-minute travel deals, visit the WorldFootprints.com travel portal to find exclusive non-published sales on travel. Our dynamic travel deals page updates daily with the latest sales from our partners. You can't find these deals anywhere else, and we've seen sales for $9 per night for hotels and $49 airline tickets. So stop by WorldFootprints.com to see where you can go for less. Also, make sure you visit the Travel Marketplace for sales on travel essentials and services. Hi, my name is Anna. I'm from Romania. Make sure you don't miss the World Footprint Radio every Tuesday. You're listening to World Footprints Radio, awarded as the best travel audio podcast by the North American Travel Journalists Association. Here's Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back. Dr. Kristen Lamoureux serves as the director of the International Institute of Tourism Studies within the Department of Tourism and Hospitality Management at George Washington University. In addition to her specialization in tourism and hospitality management, destination management, volunteer tourism, sustainable and niche tourism development. She is also working on tourism development projects in developing countries around the world. Kristen has just returned from an exciting trip, uh, albeit without her favorite radio crew, and uh, we're pleased to welcome her back to our show. Hi there. Hi, how are you guys? Now, Kristen, you just returned from Egypt where you participated in a volunteerism forum of some sorts. Tell us a little bit about that trip and the purpose of that trip and how it came about. Sure. Um, we actually uh, have been doing have been working on volunteer tourism here at George Washington University for some time. We did our first forum um, in collaboration with the Educational Travel Conference about uh, six years ago. Um, and since that time, I actually completed my uh, my doctoral studies on volunteer tourism and have been doing a lot of work in volunteer tourism. So in this occasion, we were asked by the U.S. Embassy in Cairo to talk to them about volunteer tourism. Um, their uh, cultural affairs office is looking at different activities related to um, what's called the Cairo Initiative coming out of President Obama's uh, speech that was made in Cairo uh, last year 
where he called for greater collaboration between Americans and, and the Muslim world and more people-to-people relationships. Uh, they have a series of initiatives that have come out of that, uh, I, I believe, you know, both in Egypt but then in other, other parts of, of the Middle East and uh, other parts of the world. And um, one of the things that they've been discussing is the concept of volunteer tourism, uh, you know, make the assumption that you have a good number of tourists. I, I think the number, the estimate is about 300,000 Americans go into Egypt each year. Um, and even if 1% of those stayed behind and did some kind of volunteer activity, uh, be they business travelers doing a half-day activity or a uh, regular leisure traveler um, doing something half-day, two days, four, two weeks, whatever it might be, that that would um, be tremendously beneficial for both those that volunteer as well as uh, the hosts, host country. And it would also offer an opportunity for uh, people to come closer together and to get to know each other on a more one-on-one basis, not necessarily at the uh, here are the pyramids, this is Egypt, but mm-hmm. rather here are Egyptians, um, get to know one another, talk to one another. So the embassy asked if I would come over and really kind of jumpstart the conversation. And so I, I invited a colleague, Christina, Christina Heinegger, who uh, is the president of Zola Consulting and has done some work in volunteer and adventure tourism. invited her to come over with me, and we um, spent a week meeting with different nonprofit organizations, tour operators, government officials, looking at various opportunities. Uh, and it was culminated with uh, a launch of really a launch of a conversation by the U.S. Embassy along with the Ministry of Tourism and the local private sector. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, that raises a question for me. And, uh, you know, was the focus on um, NGO activities, private sector activities, or a combination of the both? Really the embassy was trying to have the conversation, to start the conversation. And they are, uh, you know, it's the U.S. Embassy, so they're not um, looking to become implementers. It's not their role to become implementers of this activity. So there was private sector, there was nonprofit organizations, and there was government officials um, that we met with and that were at the at the launch event. And what they're, what we're all really hoping for, and I think the Ministry of Tourism is really hoping for, is that um, some entity organization uh, form that can really serve as a catalyst for uh, really connecting supply and demand. You know, you have a lot of nonprofits that are doing amazing work, mm-hmm. and then you have a lot of volunteers that want to do something, and how do you connect those two up um, and then facilitate their travel while they're in the country is 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 really the crux of the, you know, that's the problem, and it's what's lacking with a lot of volunteer activities in a lot of countries is, you know, there is no one place to go to mm-hmm. find all of the various volunteer activities that might exist uh, in a country. And so um, they're really hoping that something like that gets started in Egypt. Speaking of Egypt, you you mentioned that there are some private sector initiatives such as Garbage City. Talk to us about that and some of the other significant initiatives that are taking place there. So I consider myself incredibly fortunate because I have uh, the opportunity to uh, to call this my job. <laughs> um, and sometimes, uh, and, you know, in addition to being a professor and educating students, which I love, but sometimes getting out to, to see what's really going on in the world is, is the most rewarding. And I'll just give you, um, you know, Ian, you mentioned the Garbage City, which is something uh, that was incredibly interesting to me. I'll just share 
Um, so one of the nonprofits that we visited was a school in um, a place called Garbage City. And just briefly, Garbage City is a section of Cairo that is uh, really a living waste management community, for lack of a better term. It's, a, it's an area that um, uh, the population lives in. Uh, much of the city's trash is brought to this place, uh, particularly the non-organic trash. And, um, you know, if you can imagine it, there's lots and lots of buildings. Um, and in each building, there's an open area below and then apartments on top. So, so people live there. Um, but then below, in the in the kind of what we would call the store level, um, there's big open rooms, and that's where trash is sorted: um, bottles, plastics, you know, uh, computer equipment, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. So people live there their whole lives. This is their life. You know, they they are born into it, and they live there their whole lives, and they're they're garbage sorters basically their whole lives. Uh, and don't really have an opportunity for a lot of education in some cases. Many of the children are are, are really working to collect garbage. So uh, this really innovative man um, came up with uh, an idea, and it was uh, with the assistance of a, a local professor there. Um, and it really shows how private sector can help out. Uh, we all know uh, Procter & Gamble, and they make shampoo. Well, mm-hmm. in in, uh, in Egypt, they make a couple of kinds of shampoos that we're familiar with, head and shoulders, uh, uh, pert, prel. So um, they were having an issue with counterfeiting. Because the garbage is sorted by hand, um, you know, it's not hard for counterfeiters to buy all the head and shoulder bottles they can come across and fill mm-hmm. them with less than uh, high-quality shampoo and resell them. And so mm-hmm. Procter & Gamble is having an issue with brand recognition because obviously the product was not their product and also they were losing sales right somebody was taking their sales through counterfeiting so this professor did a study and found out that it was costing them um, I think the uh, the estimate was about two hundred thousand uh, two hundred thousand um, a year in uh, Egyptian pounds and I might have that number wrong but it was a large number uh, that was costing Procter and Gamble they went to Procter and Gamble Procter and Gamble said well what can we do about this so they created a partnership where Procter and Gamble funds a school it's a small school in Garbage City the boys that participate in the school are allowed to participate only if so they, are, they they participate in the school. Um, they participate as well in trash collection. They're boys that live in, in Garbage City. And what they do is they go around, because they all know each other, it's a close, it's a close community, they purchase um, the bottles of Head & Shoulders, Pert & Prell, and now they're adding Herbal Essence, uh, from the, those people that they know in the community that, that basically sort those bottles, right? They purchase them. They bring them to the school. They sell them to the school. They purchase them for 20 cents. They sell them to the school for 40 cents. The school then has a machine that grinds them up, and the boys help in this process. And um, and then the boys, you know, basically get 100% profit, which they can reinvest back into their families, et cetera. Um, but in order to participate in this, the boys have to go to school for 16 hours a week. So it's really phenomenal because it's basically, you know, you're giving the boys the opportunity to continue to make money, which is essential for their family's existence, um, but they have to, as part of it, go to school as well. And they're making more through this program than they could if they spent the entire day collecting trash. Hmm. Um, So it gives them an incentive to be in school. A really, really great example, I was sitting in the school talking to the boys, and they showed me these computers that they have, and um, they have to keep all track of this on a spreadsheet. So the very first thing they do at age like six is they learn how to track all of this on a spreadsheet. And so they're showing me their income, their output, 
Um, they're showing me the hours of school and how they're tracking this. And with the headmaster, they have to sign off on this once a week. But then they showed me some um, a computer program where they're actually mapping. They're ma mapping within the city where they're finding the highest quantity of head and shoulders versus wow. birds. You know, so it's GIS <laughs> mapping, which you know we all know are skills that you can apply anywhere <laughs> later on in life. So this isn't just you know, uh, kind of theoretical education. This is really giving them some some really, you know, interesting business and entrepreneurial skills. Mm -hmm. And and actually, this is a win 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 for everybody because Procter and Gamble, even though they're, my understanding, you know, they've uh, invested in the school, they're actually. I mean, it's minimal con compared to what they're saving. It's minimal compared to what they're saving. You can't put a measure on the brand. You know, counterfeiting of those products has ended. You know, there's no more market for counterfeiting of those products. So it's 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 helped their brand. And you know, obviously, companies are under greater pressure to to have uh, stronger corporate social responsibility mm -hmm. initiatives, and this is certainly one of them. And and not to to be left out, I mean, the girls. There's a similar program for there's the girls. There's an interesting similar program. There's there's uh, a couple programs. They they are working on changing attitudes as well. So the the same group has um, some garbage uh, solid waste management awareness activities that that they're working on which um they they uh work with the city um and they have a small contract with the city i believe to uh create awareness and put out recycling bins and get the word out um but uh really interesting they had a a a girls school where they have girls trained in basically IT skills um information technology and they they train the girls um in um in computer skills and they are also a source of a place where you can donate your old computers or your old monitors you know what we consider e-waste and we don't know what to do with in this country you know? mm -hmm. so they they um they they actually ask people to please donate their old computers and what the girls do is they they're trained in uh, they're trained enough so they can identify what are the good parts of the computer and what are the bad parts of the computer and then they use that to rebuild um uh, to rebuild better computers. Now they're not, you know, high-speed computers that many of us might use in an office, but they are adequate computers that they can then resell back to maybe some of the poor communities that wouldn't necessarily have access to computers. They had so many monitors, so many more monitors than computers that they actually um, developed a system to transform monitors into television sets, very uh, hmm. low-cost television sets, which they're also able to get out to some of the less um, uh, affluent communities within Cairo and then fund the school programs. So really interesting initiatives. And that program actually has a little bit of funding from the, um, uh, the Gates Foundation. Now, Kirsten, what was uh, surprising about Egypt, uh, things that might be uh, interesting uh, to a kind of a uh, ordinary traveler? Um, I think what was most surprising... I don't want to say it as if it wasn't something I... I think what would be most surprising for most travelers is just um, a real warm kind of um, sense of uh, community. You know, I felt that you're always a little bit on edge when you're an American traveling, um, particularly into the Middle East. There, you know, just the well, you know, what are the perceptions? As much us having preconceived notions as they have preconceived notions of what Americans are like, um, and I didn't feel any of that. I just felt like everyone I met, honestly, cared about my safety, cared about where I was going, what I was doing, and 
and you know how could they help me have a more enjoyable experience in Egypt? Um, very, um, you know, Egypt is a, a relatively conservative country, and they were, um, you know, but it was not uh, in any way threatening or unwelcoming. You know, while most of the women in Egypt that are um, uh, of Muslim faith tend to cover their head, wear a veil. There was no, uh, not a veil, a, a headscarf. There was no, uh, no issue what to, whatsoever that you know I didn't or some women that um, might not be Muslim didn't do that. So, and uh, they were also incredibly tolerant. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my opinion, some of the tourists <laughs> were inappropriately dressed, but that's no surprise. Uh, you know, going to the pyramids in little shorts and and tank tops, which you know, you know, I could teach a whole class on that, right? Um, and <laughs> they were um, very tall. You know, there was there was just no issue, which uh, was a little surprising to me that they were so open to the fact that tourists just have a different way of of acting and dressing, and they were fine. After the break, more with Dr. Kristen Lamoureux of the International Institute of Tourism Studies at George Washington University when World Footprints Radio continues. Hey, this is Amy. I'm from Manitoba. Woo, Manitoba. I love listening to World Footprints Radio. It rocks my socks. <laughs> I love it. Growing up in poverty taught me how to be determined, how to be goal-oriented. Ray Wright, youth mentor. I work with young people every day, and young people have almost lost faith in the world surrounding them. I'm that ray of sunshine telling them we haven't been forsaken. Lead, inspire, change the world again. Join thousands and find which volunteer opportunity is best for you. Call 1-800-424-8867 today or visit www.getinvolved.gov. This message is brought to you by the Corporation for National and Community Service on this station. Reba McIntyre for RAD. You know, I see a lot of funny things traveling all over this beautiful country of ours, but one thing that's not very funny is when someone gets in a car trying to drive when they're drunk. Take their keys away from them, because friends don't let friends drive drunk. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. Tom Gilmore lives on a farm. There's a storm on the way, so he's boarding up the windows of his house. Haley Williams lives in an apartment. It's a beautiful day. She's making her usual monthly donation to the American Red Cross. Tom doesn't know a tornado will leave his family with no place to go. Haley doesn't know her gift will help give Tom's family shelter. When you support the Red Cross, you change a life. Starting with your own. Call 1-800-RED-CROSS or visit redcross.org to learn about life-changing opportunities in your area. Want to travel for less? Visit the worldfootprints.com travel portal to find exclusive, non-published sales on travel. Our dynamic travel deals page updates daily with the latest sales from our partners, and you can't find these deals anywhere else. We've seen sales for as little as $9 a night for hotel rooms and $49 airline tickets. So stop by worldfootprints.com to see where you can go for less. Also, make sure you visit the Travel Marketplace for sale on travel essentials and services like passport processing. Bookie, my name is Shane. I'm a Blackfoot from the Six Gun Nation. I encourage you to tune into World Footprints Radio and come out to Blackfoot Crossing Historical Park in Southern Alberta to experience the Blackfoot people and culture. And now, more of World Footprints Radio with your hosts, 
Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back. Here's more of our conversation with Dr. Kristen Lamoureux. Well, speaking of tourists, I know that you spoke to uh, various travelers uh, during your time there and, and even on the return trip back. And um, one conversation in particular illustrated, I think, how a simple immersion experience can shape one's uh, travel perceptions and travel experience. Talk, talk about those conversations that you had with travelers. Sure. I actually had three kind of um, very telling uh, pieces of information kind of thrown at me while I was there uh, or given to me. Um, first was uh, speaking to a large tour operator that operates in Egypt, and they were just explaining to me that um, uh, one of the things that they've started to do, particularly for their incentive travel, and a little bit more high-end uh, tour operator, one of the things that they've started to do is actually add a um, dinner. You know, just simply uh, instead of going to a great restaurant, which there are in Egypt, of course, um, actually having dinner in an Egyptian family's home. You know, uh, spending the evening with an Egyptian family, talking to the talking to them as you would sit around the dinner table at home, uh, share experiences, share stories, uh, get to know their children, etc. And um, this particular tour operator told me that in the course of the year that they've been doing this, they this is a, a not a profit maker for them, of course, um, just having dinner, um, but it has generated about five million Egyptian pounds in revenue for them mm. in repeat visitation and word of mouth. So here's a, a a company, you know, a large tour operator who's saying this not only you know breaking bread, having an experiential reality with the local population you know having a direct person to person connection not only is um good for business but it you know not only is good for the traveler but it 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 really i think changes the traveler's perception of egypt a lot and gets mm-hmm. them very much more excited because what it does at least how they explained it to me was what it does is it gets the tourist off the beaten path and it gets them to say well maybe there is more to egypt than i thought let me come back a second time, or let me tell other people about it, uh, which juxtaposed to another conversation I had uh, with a couple coming off the airplane, walking through uh, the, to my connecting flight, um, and there was an uh, uh, American couple, elderly couple, and uh, I knew they were coming from Egypt. I assumed they were tourists, so I, I started to talk to them, and they said, I said, well, how, how did you like Egypt? And they said they had gone on a package tour with a, you know, a large tour operator because they had to do a lot of moving around. There's a lot of airplane flights involved in traveling around Egypt, and they were worried they couldn't do it all by themselves. Although they weren't typically package travelers, mm-hmm. they did in this case because they were concerned they wouldn't have been able to kind of manage it all themselves. And they were glad that they did purchase a package trip um, from that sense. But I asked them if they liked Egypt, and they said, um, you know, how was it? And they said, well, we, you know, beautiful history and culture, of course. Um, but they felt that they really didn't have all that great of experience. They felt that there was a lot of trash um, and there was uh, a lot of people, a lot of tourists. And I think they had uh, what we typically think of as kind of the mass tourist experience, you know, get on a bus, go see the pyramid, get off the bus, um, go to the next site. And so um, never, ever really having the opportunity to have a real conversation with any of the local people um, or really get to understand 
the culture now. You know, the the trap that a place like Egypt falls into is that it's such phenomenal, world class historical culture there that um, sometimes you fail to recognize what is the uh, current culture. You know, and there's a lot of time spent on the historical culture, the pyramids, the, mm-hmm. the, et cetera. But there's a living, breathing, very vibrant, very interesting culture now in in Egypt that um, you know the average tourist doesn't have the opportunity to to see because they're um, they're looking at the historical sites. So the, this couple's really had a completely different opinion of Egypt. They had no intention of going back. It was kind of bucket list. We've done that and. Um, you know, we we probably we have, we're not interested in going back. So That's too bad. very different experience. Now we've we've spoken about immersion experiences. How about volunteer travel and volunteer uh, volunteerism? How is that encouraging tourism in developing nations? Um, so you know, I've been doing this um, six to eight years. Been working in the volunteer tourism arena and. Um, I, I I still contend that quite often the most affected of the volunteer experience, volunteerism experience, is the person that volunteers. It really changes mindsets. And no matter how good the project is on the ground, um, you know the ability to change kind of your way of thinking about an entire culture. Uh, not that this always happens, but it does happen a lot. Um, is really really vital and really important. Um, so. I think that uh, from that perspective, that's the the most uh, that's the most interesting piece for me is to see how uh, cultural shifts occur when volunteers happen. But from a uh, when volunteers uh, incorporate volunteering into a trip, but from a, a country perspective, you know, in this case in Egypt, we, the the um, this mandate is coming out of, or this concept is coming out of the US embassy and it's a public diplomacy it's a, you know getting people and people to connect they have the idea that when people meet each other and i think this is a good idea a correct idea when people meet each other a lot of the cultural barriers a lot of the barriers get broken down you know if you can break bread with somebody hear about their children hear about their day-to-day life things change your your mentality your attitude towards them changes they're no longer a stereotype they have a name mm-hmm. so i think that's very important from the public diplomacy perspective um, however, for countries, I think that um, uh, this is an alternative type of tourism um, that offers uh, maybe not a replacement for uh, large-scale tourism development. But if you take a step back and really broaden what you think about as volunteer tourism, and the way I think about volunteer tourism is there's a lot, uh, there's a lot of different components to a more uh, an experience that gives back. So you have your short-term volunteers, which is, I think is what most of us think about when you know we we add a half-day experience working with you know maybe blind children, or we add a, a half-day beach cleanup. Um, that's I think what we typically think about. Or if you build a house for a week with Habitat for Humanity. All those are great things. But step back a bit and look at um, what else is there. You have your your uh, we we have a concept here at George Washington University that we call the Save. Um, the save concept um and with save we we talk about scientific academic volunteer and educational tourists mm-hmm. um and so if you look at the s of save that's your scientists that's your your researcher going in um to do you know maybe they're they're it's an archaeologist to bring a group in to look at um uh, scientific research within the pyramids. Um, Earthwatch is really good at this they do quite a bit of you know having people pay to partner up with 
a scientist that's doing fabulous work and be part of that experience. So that that falls under volunteer tourism or giving back. Um, if you look at your academics, um, we did a great project in uh, we're working on a project in the southern part of Africa, uh, out of Mozambique, looking at sunken slave ships. And so we we started looking at the study abroad market, um, not the two year study abroad market, but the summer summer study abroad or spring break study abroad. I teach this class every year where I bring students um, to a country and we do a consulting practicum for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a class and the students pay to participate, um, but they're having a tremendous economic benefit on the, you know, they're they, they are leaving an economic impact on the destination. And if that's a type of tourism that countries can capitalize on, there's no reason why they shouldn't. It's, you know, it's an educated population that's coming in with an interest in the destination. Then you have your volunteers, that's your V of the SAVE uh, acronym, and then you have your experiential or educational tourists. Those are your people that are going to take a cooking class or they're going to learn how to make rice paper. Um, All of those types of tourists are more interested in the experience and the culture and the nature and the, the situation on the ground than they are of having a bucket list experience where they're going and checking off, okay, I saw the pyramids, okay. And they're they're probably spending more and they're probably maybe staying a bit longer. Uh it really depends on, on what they're doing. Um but there's there's an opportunity there for countries to do, to really capitalize on who are these people and how do we get them to come to our country uh and make us a destination which, you know, may result in more repeat visitors, higher spending, uh, whatever it is, and you, it's quality versus quantity. You know, when you're talking about tourism, you know, you're talking about tourists that may pay a bit more, may stay a bit longer, may repeat, um, and yeah, there may be a hundred of them versus a thousand of the kind of uh, other types of tourists, but um, they may have the same impact. You really need to look at it. You don't know. So it's a, something to consider. Mm-hmm. One of the questions that I had in, in thinking about volunteerism, uh, looking at rates of participation, if there's any data on other countries, uh, other Western countries and uh, countries that uh, we perhaps don't think of as, you know, kind of being countries that are on the map that are giving countries per se, what have you uncovered about this notion of volunteerism taking hold elsewhere around the world with uh, tourists from other countries wanting to go to other places to help? Um, well, without a doubt, uh, whenever we talk about volunteer tourism, it, we have a lot of statistics now that have come out that say uh, how many people want to travel, et cetera. You know, we've, we've seen statistics like Condé Nast and MSN did a study uh, a few years ago where they, they said uh, 55% of the people they, they surveyed would like to take a volunteer vacation. Seventy-five percent of those that volunteered would likely do so again. Um, uh, so um, uh, there's numbers out there that say that people are interested in it. Um, my experience, and I'm, this may just be biased, so forgive me, <laughs> is um, I think that the American population has a very strong uh, volunteering um, uh, Mentality, or you know, we have a tradition in the United States, uh, maybe you know, United States and Canada, of of volunteering in other things in our daily lives. And so, I I, I do think that the American market is one of the stronger 
markets for this type of tourism uh, than than other countries. Um, uh, countries have begun to implement this. The country of Jordan has launched a national volunteerism strategy, and if you go to their national website, you can find uh, opportunity, you know, information about opportunities for volunteering. Uh, but that initiative came out of their uh, office here in North America, mm-hmm. so it was really it's really an initiative that's geared towards the North American tourist. Mm-hmm. Um, we're working right now on a similar concept in Mozambique of uh, kind of capitalizing on this, or at least giving a country a t- the tools to access the save market, um, and um, that is just in its infancy. In its infancy right now, the Minister of Tourism has signed an agreement, an MOU to kind of move that agenda forward, but it's still developing. So um, really at a national level, we're not, uh, there isn't uh, volunteerism national level strategies other than what I mentioned in in Jordan, but there are a lot of destinations that are, and here in the U.S. we have, you know, New Orleans, if you go to their website, there's a, you know, one of the tabs to click on is volunteerism. You can go right there and find opportunities. Um, And I think that's what's really kind of holding or lacking or holding us back. I met a woman on the airplane who is an American who was living, who is living in Germany, and she had actually clipped the article that had come out in the Egyptian press about volunteer tourism, about our initiative, uh, to save because, and these were her words, not mine. She said, you know, in Germany they don't have a strong. She didn't. She was. She hasn't been able to find an opportunity to volunteer in Germany, uh, mm-hmm. where she lives. She was looking for opportunities, but. Um, you know, they were really looking. She she just wasn't given opportunities. She she wanted to help at a woman's shelter, but they she was told she needed a psychology degree. And you know, she she said that it's not this idea. And she's married to a gentleman from Europe, and he she said she can't get him to volunteer because <laughs> he just it just is not part of their culture. Um, and so she had act, she travels a bit, so she had actually clipped the article because she wanted to save it to remind herself when she goes back to Cairo to seek out these opportunities. Hmm. So, you know, there are researchers in Australia that have done a lot of work on volunteer tourism, and I suspect in in Australia it's probably a very similar situation than the U.S., Um, but it's not, uh, you know, I think that U.S., Australia, Canada are probably the stronger generating markets right Mm -hmm. now. Um, Kristen, before we go, I wanted to ask you to circle back to the the Save program mm-hmm. and and some of the uh, the trips that that you take um, as a result of of this program or, or uh, uh, included in this program. Uh-huh. Uh, are the opportunities open just to George Washington University students, or um, are they open to both students and members of the public? Well. Um, so I'm I'm a professor at GW at George Washington University, but I'm the director of the International Institute of Tourism Studies here at George Washington University, and we have a lot of projects that, or at least a, a handful of projects that that do things like this in other countries. Uh, but I'm we're not alone. Um, certainly, a lot of other schools have programs like this. Are the, the specifically the class that that. Um, I teach abroad every summer. That that is open only to G, to George Washington University students, students that are getting their Master of Tourism Administration. Um, but uh, there's an organization called the Save Travel Alliance, and it's savetravel.org. Um, uh, 
that you know is uh, a group of interested parties, interested organizations that that do things that work in areas like this that have kind of come together, and um, there are some opportunities on that on that website. I would think that also universities in general, uh, most universities have study abroad programs. I know most business programs have consulting practicum programs, um, but tourism specific. Uh, it is, as I was saying, it's it's hard to find these opportunities. You really have mm-hmm. to look for them. There's a you know a couple of great websites, idealist.org, volunteermatch.org, um, that match up volunteer opportunities, uh, volunteer abroad, travel abroad. Um, but it's it's not the easiest thing to find straight off the bat. What I would absolutely recommend for people that are interested in doing things like this is that they find a nonprofit organization. That has a history in the location, you know, someone that organizations that are going to be there long, long, you know, they've been there long before you got there, and will be there long before you've left, and will um, have a commitment to the local community beyond just bringing volunteers in. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that's the most satisfy; those are the most satisfying opportunities, and they're the ones that have the deepest tentacles into the community, and are really, um, really the ones that are going to impact some change. Dr. Kristen Lamoureux is the director of the International Institute of Tourism Studies at George Washington University. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed our show today, and we certainly did. Uh, Two of my favorite people, uh, Kristen and and Eric, and we always look forward to spending quality time with you during the week in real time from wherever we are. Uh, And You can follow us on our social networks, Facebook, Twitter, and others. So join us there and sign up for our newsletter from our website, worldfootprints.com. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we'll see you on the air again next week, same time, same frequency. And until then, we wish you blue skies and purposeful travel that leaves positive footprints one step at a time. Hi, guys. My name is Sandy Best, the Sandy Best from Lake Louise. Where's Lake Louise? It's in Alberta. Alberta's in Canada. Banff National Park, natural beauty. The only place you should go with is World Footprints Radio. They spend their time looking at those special places that are not tourist traps, that are not thousands of people. For the best on the planet, go with World Footprints Radio. World Footprints Radio is a presentation of Travel and On Media Productions, LLC. All rights reserved. making sure the air in your home is healthy for your family to breathe. Testing for radon is easy. Just call 866-730-GREEN. A message from the US EPA. What if you didn't care about being on the fast track instead of flying to the big interview? What if you flew somewhere else altogether, like a village in Botswana or a tiny island in the Pacific where needs are easy to see? What if you decided to share your skills with others? and help someone else get ahead. Peace Corps. Life is calling. How far will you go? To find out more, call 800-424-8580 or visit peacecorps.gov. Dear Mom and Dad, Well, the Army has finally seen fit to give me some time off, so I'm writing to tell you that I'm doing fine over here. And Mom, since you asked, 
If anyone wants to help, just tell them to contact the USO. You can't believe how much they do for us. With love, your son Michael. The USO depends on the generosity of the American people. To find out how you can help, visit us at USO.org. The U-